Hello everyone and welcome along to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Um, depending on what time of day you're either listening or watching this, um, you may have just come from part one of this episode, which was all about day one at the Sustainability Leaders Forum. So what we did on the first day, we gathered some of the speakers and delegates around for a kind of 45 minute conversation around the big themes of day one at the Sustainability Leaders Forum. As I explained, I'm kind of surprised um, some of the speakers then, it was a podcast, not just a podcast. So we didn't just have the audio, we have the cameras rolling in the background and the same format is applying for today. Again, if we could pan the cameras around, you'll see a very kind of empty auditorium, which was full not too long ago. Um, as speakers and delegates are kind of broken off into the leadership labs, I kind of described to the guests yesterday, we're going to have a leadership lab of ourselves, a very exclusive one because there's only four of us. Um, and we will be covering the kind of key topics of um, day two of the forum in terms of what panel sessions are going on. And we're going to try and relate that into a kind of real broad sense of what's going on, which I'll touch on in a minute. So thank you all for um, tuning in. This um, special two-part podcast, as it is, is being sponsored by E.ON. Um, as the way we use energy changes, um, E.ON can help you kind of turn your energy challenges into sustainable solutions. Um, and to find out more about that, you can visit uh, eonenergy.com forward slash solutions. So um, John, thank you very much for not only getting E.ON to sponsor this podcast, but also um, being present today. That's no problem. Great stuff. My pleasure. Good stuff. So I think what we'll do is we'll kind of just have a nice open kind of discussion. Hence why the chairs are all circled around. We've got, like I said, we haven't got much of an audience to actually present to us. So I think it's going to work quite well like this. Um, and you're all kind of uniquely positioned to, I suppose, champion different areas of sustainability. It's such a broad term, sustainability. Some, some professionals don't even like using the, the S word as it's called because it can cover so much stuff. But what I, what I kind of think we have here are kind of free speakers that can champion different pillars of it. Um, and so I suppose for our, for our viewers and for our audience that are, that are listening and tuning in, it would be good just to get a kind of, I suppose, brief of who each of you are, what, um, obviously what company <coughs> you represent, and also what kind of you specialise in in that sense. So Becky, I feel like we should start with you because um, we haven't actually let you leave this stage yet. You came from the, <laughs> you came from the leadership session, so I, I feel like you're just ready to, to start talking. <laughs> and what do you want to talk about? Exactly. So we, we'll start with the, um, we'll just start with a, a kind of introduction to, to who you are and okay. a bit about the Wooden Trust. Um, and a bit, uh, and I suppose we'll touch on that, that session you were in. It was all about leadership, the future of leadership in, yeah. in regards to sustainability. What was your kind of key takeaway from that? Uh, well, I, I kind of felt um, quite optimistic coming away from it, actually. I think there were the, it was a full audience mm -hmm. um, and quite, quite a young audience, I thought. So there were lots of people who were obviously kind of wanting to build a career in this area who were here for the, the couple of days conference. Um, and I, I, just, I just think kind of, you know, they have a really important role to play right now. I mean, some of the issues we're facing into um, as, as a planet are huge and it's going to take our generation to kind of resolve those. We can't kind of keep putting it off and putting it off. We are going to have to make some decisions. So I always feel optimistic when I'm in a room of, you know, kind of bright people trying to come up with those solutions. So I, I felt quite optimistic and then took away, I think some of the, the results of the survey mm. kind of absolutely demonstrated that we know what we have to do. It's just making sure that we can make it happen now. Um, so I, that, that, was a, that was a great outtake for me. And of course, we're, I, I, I'm the CEO of a charity. It's um, an environmental charity, the Woodland Trust. Mm -hmm. So we're particularly, we, we only operate in the UK. 
and um, we want to see a UK that's rich in native woods and trees for people and wildlife. So we don't produce timber, for example, it's only a secondary output for us, but we do, we are really interested in what trees can do in terms of benefits for people and benefits for wildlife. And that absolutely plays into that sustainability agenda for a lot of, a lot of corporate organisations, because what they're really anxious to do, or what they absolutely should be anxious to do, is thinking about their responsibility as not just kind of part of a consumer culture, but part of a culture of citizens as well so what is our responsibility what do we need to do in order to kind of get a better long-term future for our organizations for our people and, and and for the planet really so we absolutely are part of that conversation and work with quite a few corporates already to really try and move that agenda forwards yeah and i think one of the things i took from the morning session so the very morning session mm. we had uh, felix from plant for yes. the planet on uh, the, the quote that stuck with me that the trees are the only uh, kind of machine we have that can uh, capture carbon. Um, yeah, if we didn't have trees now, we'd be blinking well invented. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, John Walsh, uh, Senior Strategic Account Manager for Eon.UK, I imagine you have a, a, perhaps a slightly different view on the idea that um, they're the only machines that we have that can kind of uh, <laughs> capture carbon, or, or at least certainly provide um, some interesting solutions to the complex tasks we have ahead of us. Uh, I think you're exactly right. Firstly, I would, would not argue with anything Becky says. We're a real champion for, for her worthy cause uh, in terms of trees, uh, you know, super, super way forward. However, I think my observation from today is, is aligned really with yours in that's very optimistic. I think my role, having been with E.ON for over 20 years now, I've seen significant change in terms of what we stand for and what we offer our yeah, customers. Yeah. Absolutely, it's been almost ramping up at a significant yeah. speed now. I think Michael talked about that yesterday, our RMD, Michael yeah. French, and, uh, and it's been great to go along that journey. And, and the optim optimism I share is that really our role is to as energy experts to really facilitate change. And there's an appetite for change. And it's really about, I think it was uh, mentioned by a couple of the talk uh, speakers yesterday, certainly Will Gardner in particular, yeah. in terms of mission in action, he was talking about um, people, the inertia around people and what will really engage them to, to make the step change. And I see that as our role, maybe, Eon, or the third parties around the industry to really engage with our clients and make it easy for them to make the step change, whether it be with, with trees or whatever that solution is, or whether it's a more technological one. And, and as I say, my, my view, having worked with uh, the B2B environment in particular, is that we need to do that by, by committing a, a commercial reality to that conversation. So it's all very well discussing purpose and, and, and CSR, but it needs to be combined and, and packaged with uh, commercial realities of, of making a financial sense. And I think where we are now, uh, the optimism is that I've seen it over the, certainly over the last 10 years when I've been focused in this area and really moved away from, from selling carbon heavy gas and electricity to the solutions we're focused on now. I'm really, uh, really excited by the fact that what we can offer is as well as being the right thing to do in terms of carbon reduction is also a significant improvement in terms of business case for our customers and helps them to stand out in their markets. Great stuff and, and speaking of that business case we, um, we also are represented by um, one of the kind of most recognisable businesses in terms of this area around low carbon innovation and sustainability in general. So uh, Sarah Jones to my left, Environment Manager at Siemens, thank you very much for joining us. You sat in on the morning session as well. Yeah. Um, did you kind of take away any, any other key messages or were you quite in agreement that there's a, there's a sense of optimism around this morning? I think there's a definite sense of optimism. Um, but the thing which really resonated to me uh, around leadership is that 
anybody can be a leader in this sphere and mm -hmm. it's not down to the sustainability professional mm -hmm. to do sustainability you know everyone has a role to play um, and the, the culture we have in Siemens is around an ownership culture you kind of you make decisions as if you own the company yourself and I think that really applies for sustainability energy efficiency resource efficiency um, you know we need leaders out on the shop floor identifying areas for improvement as well as leaders in the boardroom um, I think everyone's got a role to play well, the boardroom was a, was a buzzword, actually, that I was waiting for someone to organically bring up <laughs> rather than me kind of force-feed it in. Um, and we had, we had um, stuff in the sessions this morning, and it was quite a big topic yesterday in terms of that need for boardroom buying to really drive, um, I suppose, a businesses, not just carbon reductions, but resource efficiency reductions, um, kind of environmental stewardship and activism, which is kind of covers across all, all three of our speakers today. And um, I suppose then, the board, I suppose, have a bit of an unfair, and maybe I, I am kind of pigeonholing the stereotypical view in the traditional sense that they're all about the finance, they're all about the profit, they're all about making a company grow. So we're kind of entering a new paradigm around profitability where I suppose the more kind of um, severe environmentalists would say that businesses can't be profitable and sustainable at the same time. Um, but people like IKEA, uh, Unilever have certainly proved the case with their low carbon uh, products portfolio. I'm sure Siemens are in the same boat in that sense as well. So I'd like to get your, your free views on where we are at in that discussion over kind of sustainability and um, profitability. Like, you know, how can we've now seen the case that businesses can become profitable through sustainability, which is good to see. But how can they ensure that those profits, and not just profits, but benefits, aren't just um, aren't just kind of confined to the boardroom, to the, to the financial sheets, how they actually benefit the supply chain, how they actually benefit the consumers, and how they actually ultimately benefit the planet. Um, John, I, I don't know if you want to kind of start on this. Yeah. Obviously, that's the kind of area that you can specialise in. Uh, well, absolutely, and I, I resonate exactly with, with your point there, and I think a, a phrase I use quite often is certainly over the last few years, what, what I've noticed is the importance of energy uh, and when we're talking about energy see sustainability um, and the approach to energy is that for our customers that conversation has moved we say from the plant room to the boardroom mm -hmm. uh, and for the reasons I'll mention in a moment and that's particularly around the importance to them and and that's again for a number of, uh, of different uh, reasons for that the primary reason is, is typically around the cost the it's one of the most significant variable costs for uh, the majority of our customers and therefore it attracts the attention of the board when it's signed off. And if I could just give you a little bit of background about how that's changed recently. Um, typically, our customers used to really concentrate their procurement focus on the unit cost of energy. Mm -hmm. So when we have this discussion with them, they really go out to town, they'd go through a tender process, maybe use a third party to drive down that pence per kilowatt rate. And that was a, a useful exercise to do. However, over the last, 10 years in particular, the proportion of energy uh, in your bill that's made up from energy is reduced significantly. It was maybe two thirds of your total bill was energy uh, five years ago. Now that's less than 50, probably around 40% for our large industrial customers. So you can see that effectiveness has reduced over time. And the real focus, if our customers are aware of where they can show real value, has to shift as well. So really, the only good kilowatt of consumption is one that you don't consume. Mm. Mm. So that changes the mindset, rather than just being focused on 
pound notes and pence, we're talking about the whole approach and relationship with energy uh, as a consumer. And that's how my role has changed completely. So we're not discussing, um, talking about purchasing and procuring energy. We're talking about everything else but that. And now we have a, a relatively small team in Eon that, that sell and um, procure energy. And my focus and the rest of my colleagues is our solutions business, where we're looking at helping our customers to use less or generate their own or whichever way they want to, to look at that. So it's, it's a real... So that, that's really interesting for mm. me because I think, you know, it has moved, you know, the business world has moved from being a relatively simple world into being a much more complex one, mm. and, you know, even over the last kind of 10, 20 years, I yep. would say. And, 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 that, and I actually think that's really exciting because this is, this is business trying to sort of take account of the complexities of the context in which it operates. Um, so this is about kind of things like natural capital accounting. It's like, you know, trying to kind of evaluate the value and the benefits we get from things that we can't measure yeah. necessarily in, in straight pounds and pence, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and and that's, that's really important in terms of sustainability and in terms of, you know, us being not just consumers but citizens as well as individuals mm. and organisations and businesses seeing themselves as not just kind of, you know, growth at any cost but really taking that triple bottom line thinking which has been around for a long time yeah. but really implementing that and taking it seriously and that's fundamental to us having a, a sustainable future really as a, as a planet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In Siemens we have a, a global target to be carbon neutral by 2030 mm. um, and we have a dedicated program you know, very well funded to look at the efficiency of our, our own facilities and drive those savings um, but importantly we're also taking that learning and taking it to our customers and um, so pushing that out through the value chain um, I think business has a role to help customers identify issues that perhaps they don't even know they have, um, but we can show leadership in that area. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity for both you know, energy efficiency, resource efficiency, circularity. Yeah, and I think there's um, a lot of parallels between what John said around kind of it's, it's not it's, it's not about um, you're talking to everything about reducing energy. It's all about you know making sure they don't spend that energy in the first place. And I suppose from a resource efficiency point of view, which is an area you're quite passionate about and, and quite an expert in, there's parallels there. It's um, it's arguably become the kind of hot topic in the last year, certainly around plastics as well. Um, every consumer now seems to be very much alert to the fact that their the waste from the products they buy, from the services they use, might not be being disposed of in such a sustainable um, way. So in, in terms of getting the boardroom really kind of bought in on, on that, what kind of message do you have to send them? Is it still around how resource efficiency can, can save money, or is it is it kind of consumer trust, which again, I suppose, has a financial aspect to it. What, what, what is it? Yeah, what we've tried to do is really simplify the language around it. Um, when we're looking at our sustainability strategy, you get a group of sustainability professionals in the room and sustainability becomes this amazing, you know, behemoth of all these different terms and acronyms. But actually, we had to take a step back. We had a kind of a cross-functional team working with us, you know, guys in procurement, guys running particular businesses. Come on, guys, you know, we don't talk this language. So we kept it very simple and it's all about doing more good. So wherever you have a decision-making point, um, whatever process you've in finance, R&D, in production, you say, can I do more good with this? You know, is there a different way I can do it? Um, can I do something a bit more sustainable? Can I use this resource more efficiently? Do I actually need to use this in the first place? Um, so I think keeping the language simple helps enable a broader audience to start acting on these things. Great stuff. And, and Becky, as I mean, you, you kind of are in the boardroom for the one trust. It's obviously a com 
completely, um, it's probably different to, to a kind of traditional private um, sector board in that sense. But um, I mean, there must be there must be kind of um, some parallels, or certainly from someone who's perhaps looking into the sustainability professional sphere from the outside in. Even though you've been working with probably the boards at Sainsbury's mm. um, and IKEA, like you mentioned earlier, uh, you know how 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 different is it trying to have a kind of order level conversation with uh, the organisation of the Wooden Trust and then having to try and perhaps enter into the private sphere. Is, is it quite similar or...? Interesting question. I mean, I used to be a management consultant in my misspent youth. Mm. So, you know, I've kind of, you know, I, I've sort of been in, in both worlds, I suppose. I think a lot of it is transferable, actually. And I think one of the key things that's happening around boards at the moment is that they are becoming more diverse. You know, by hook or by crook, yeah. they are becoming yeah. more diverse. And that that's fundamental to, I think, having these richer, more complex discussions and finding the more difficult solutions that we're going to have to find going forward. So that's been a, a really fundamental shift to me that's still going on, I think, at the moment as well. Um, and I think... I, the thing that, that, for me, when I see good boards, and I don't mean boards that all kind of agree and, and spend their time nodding at each other, I mean boards that are really wrestling with those things. I think the thing that always strikes me is that they those that, that decision-making is very much rooted in the values they hold as individuals and as the organisation for which they are leading. And I, that, 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 again, I find optimistic because I think people make better decisions when they're grounded in their values and what they think their organisation stands for than they do if they see themselves as a profit-making entity and mm. only that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's been a shift as well. There's a lot more talk about values, about purpose, about responsibility, and, and I'm seeing that happening you know, at the top of the organisation, not just sustainability professionals kind of tugging on somebody's sleeve and saying, well, can we just mm. think a bit about yeah. CSR? You know? <coughs> I t totally agree there. One of the things we had from our, our sustainability strategy, we had a kind of co-creation workshop with our okay. board um, and identified four key areas where we could see that you know, either we could act really quickly on something so let's just go ahead and do it or there was a, a bit of a blocker that needed a board sponsor mm. to help us get over these hurdles um, and our ask to the board is you know, can we have a sponsor for each of these topics and we had more volunteers from the boards than we had topics which mm. I thought was fantastic um, but I think it does reflect as you say the change in diversity the engagement and, and linking it back to the purpose of the business might also be worth at this point if I could just add in a couple of examples of, of my experience with boards. So typically to get sustainable or renewable schemes signed off, have board approval these days, certainly if they're into the millions of pounds, and that might be an FD or an MD, depending on the organisational setup of the, of the company. And my experience is we have two challenges to, to, to overcome. With, with customers that, that can often derail these schemes or, or stop them from moving forward. And that's one is around CapEx. Uh, and the second, well, if we look, dealt, dealt with the first one first, CapEx typically is the availability of CapEx. We're in a global world, global companies that have other projects in other areas, and there's often uh, competition for that capital. Mm. So it's, it's never easy. So, so along with, with CapEx, the other is the performance of the solution that we're, we're recommending as well. So it might be a, a new technology, whether it be combined heat and power, solar technology, right. battery storage. It's, it's new to the customer. So say the customer's in retail, they'll know nothing about energy assets. So there's a reticent within the board. It, 
deem it as a risk. Yeah. Sure. So, so with those two challenges, it's up to us and other third parties to overcome that and make it easier for customers. So the example uh, that we've done here is to really help with financing those schemes so we can provide capital if required and also in terms of the performance or the risk around the opportunity. We, we can put that in a, in a contract offering that's on what we call an energy performance contract where we can underwrite the performance to ensure that they will get the performance from that asset over the time to help to de-risk it from a customer's perspective. So again, it's all very well engaging with boards, but we need to understand their drivers and, and their challenges uh, to their shareholders in mm. terms of making the return and make sure that we, as an industry, make it easy for them to make that step change into the new world, yeah. what, whatever that solution may be. You know, there is, you know, insert solution almost. Mm. It's about a new technology world, as I say, whether that's battery storage, whether it's a heat pump, whether it's solar technology, it's almost not important. What's important is that enduring energy partnership with a third party, if, if they've not got the, the wherewithal or the skill internally to do that. And I see that as the mass opportunity within the, the, the commercial world. Yeah. Is I, to, think, I think to that's enable very that. true. So, um, I think a partnership and a long-term partnership yeah. is yeah. really beneficial. Um, we've had a long-term partnership with our, our waste services provider, Veolia, over five plus years now. And we really do work collaboratively on these things and it is driving improvement, shifting waste up the hierarchy and you build up that trust. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, being a partner with our customers and helping them develop um, solutions. And we may go in and say, well, we don't know what the solution is yet, but let's yeah. work together on this. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, something I recognise as well, that sort of um, the deeper, more meaningful relationships are the ones that actually deliver at the end of the yeah. day. And exactly. that's certainly true for us with our corporate partners, yeah, you know, okay. where we've worked, you know, it, for a long time mm. in, you know, in getting into all kind of elements of, of that particular um, organisation. So relationships with people like Sainsbury's, um, Nationwide we've been working with, mm. you know, that's where I see those relationships really deliver both for the organisation itself and, and for our cause as well. So, so what makes the long-term partnership work? You've all, you've all kind of mentioned and specified ones you've got in place and I think it was Richard Gillies was speaking earlier, the ex-kind of Kingfisher, um, M&S uh, sustainability uh, head and he, he was kind of talking about if he could have done things differently, he kind of used a weird kind of um, uh, weird kind of anecdote of like feeding, feeding the lions with red meat today but making sure he had a kind yeah. of I heard of buffalo or wildebeest there to think. <laughs> so, and uh, I suppose if it's we slightly were a red meat analogy, really. yeah, not red yeah, meat in it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, to make it perhaps a bit more clear to me, well, if we use battery storage as an example, it's it's one of those it's one of those things where some businesses are put off by it a little bit because it's got a relatively long-term payback. Um, perhaps some businesses are a little bit too short uh, short-termism in their in their views. It was quite a traditional thing to do at, at one point for businesses. So, how how do you kind of make a long-term partnership successful? How do you kind of put these partnerships in place that, that kind of, as Richard would put it, um, appeal to that big long-term goals, all these kind of climate goals and megatrends that are around? So you kind of get them in place, but what do you have to do every day? What's that kind of red meat you have mm. to chuck over the fence mm. to feed the lion every day? How, 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 what kind of things do businesses need to do with um, service providers, with other partners, um, with organisations to make those long-term partnerships stay long-term? Yeah. Yeah, so for me, it's, it's, it's doing the day job well. So it, it, to take that as an example, so it might be the more straightforward energy solutions if we look at replacing lights with LED technology, mm -hmm. very yeah. uh, transactional if you like, very short-term payback, not very controversial and doesn't require uh, a very long sales cycle if you like. 
combining that with energy management, um, building management systems, upgrades. So we've got partnerships in place with the Marks and Spencers, Sainsbury's of this world, where we provide those services. Right. So that's almost your basis and, 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 and enduring relationships that are based on performance and, 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 and results that have come through. And then the next step is to bring that innovation and that partnership approach to really take it to the next level. And, and what we found successful where it's worked is where we almost have some skin in the game and that's an incentive to, to exceed performance levels and whether that's guaranteed levels of service with outperformance incentives, not necessarily financial, but in terms of uh, production and, and such. And, and it's that mindset and that partnership collaborative approach that, that Sarah mentioned that, that I think works really well. I think... I think two things are really fundamental. One is trust. So right, that yeah. and you can only build that over time by kind of delivering over yeah. time. And and it can start small. So when I think about the Sainsbury's relationship we have, you know, that, that started really small. It was about um it was about woodland eggs. So it's a penny on every box of eggs, you know, that you bought at Sainsbury's came to the Woodland Trust. But that that's now developed over time. So that they've ended up planting three million trees with okay, us, yeah. and, and we're working with their farmers who supply their eggs to get more trees into the the farming system. So it's kind of it's deepened and and grown over time. And I think to a certain extent, you just have to build that trust and make sure that happens. And I think the other thing that's really key, in my experience, is those relationships existing at all sorts of levels in the two organisations. So yeah. it's not it's not dependent on one account manager who's kind of. You know, rushing off and kind of you know, trying to kind of make everybody happy. There are absolutely quite fundamental relationships at lots of different levels and about lots of different kinds of delivery, and I think that really builds a strong relationship as well. Yeah, I think also in you know, large organisations like Siemens, you know, we have a, a global network of um, mm. specialists. So I think building up your internal networks mm. um, really helps as well, and and it helps set that that long-term strategic goal. If you're all working together towards something, and then these little sparks. And little ideas, you know, someone in the US might have an idea yeah. about something. Well, we've done that here in the UK, so let's let's share our experiences. Um, and I think when we're we're talking to our partners, it is as you say about having that that trust-based relationship and really being open and honest about what your challenges are mm. and what the problems are and how you can work together. And it's a much more interesting and rewarding way to make a living, for goodness' yeah. sake. You know, yeah. it, it makes for a richer work experience. Yeah. And so I want to touch back on something you said <laughs> um, earlier, Sarah, around, and it was around kind of you know you said making the language really simple when you engage with the board and other areas of business but um so so what's the balance between you need to, to make it simple but also explaining the benefits of, of something like um, energy storage example, or yeah. something like you know the carbon specification of, of helping with tree planting there's um there's there's you know you've got to have that pitch to a to a especially a kind of skeptical board you've got yeah. to have that pitch nailed so what you know how do you how do you kind of balance the the need to keep the language simple but also the fact that as, as Becky kind of said, we're, businesses are dealing with really complex stuff right now. Yeah, I think it's, you've got to keep the language simple, but you've got to have the data to back it up mm. as well. Um, you know, it is going to need investment from the business, and you do need to show that it's going to pay back. Um, but I think one of the interesting things we've taken from the energy efficiency point of view, we've recognised that you know the traditional two-year payback just isn't going to work if we're going to hit these um, these mm. big. You know, targets for 2030 to be carbon neutral um, so being able to have the data and show you know we need to achieve this target but if we stick to this way of doing it it's not going to work so let's extend our payback times so let's look, work on that longer time scale um, I think being open and honest with your board around these things is important. It's been able to display the technologies as well for example we've got a multi-solution site in Sheffield um, typically 
industrial area where we now got cutting edge technologies. We've got uh, topped with a 10 megawatt battery mm. that's actually in operation. And uh, alongside that, EV charging posts. So it's an exemplar type site that you can bring clients to and see, as well as the, you know, the PV arrays on our head office in Coventry. It's almost living the brand and making sure that you can communicate that. So when you do have meetings, you, you can actually display that and, and walk the walk, as well as talk the talk almost. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the really interesting things that came out from today is being able to you know, show your staff that you yeah. actually do live yeah. these values yeah. and, and have those important. examples. It really is. And, and for Siemens, you know, one of the things you know, we say we're ingenuity for life and we're, we're very innovative in this field and we do invest, you know, we work with universities, we're investing in new technologies and green ammonia generation from renewables and different ways of generating energy. Um, so it's, you know, being able to proactively show both your employees as well as your customers and your supply chain that you do really live those values. Yeah, so I think yeah, don't shy away from the complexity. Let's mm. not treat people yeah. like children, but let's absolutely um, make sure we have got a simple narrative and perhaps something, you know, for us, a, a very totemic thing, which is planting a tree. You know, it's a very simple thing. Everybody can do it. And, and to have that totem, but to be able to talk about the kind of complexities that surround that in terms of the benefits it can bring and why you should do it in a certain area and not another area is really important as well. Um, I, I think the other thing is, um, you know, it, it was interesting, the Blue Planet stuff, which of course everyone talks yeah, about yeah. now, you know, plastics in the ocean is a, is a very complex thing you know and we know we, we've got to kind of talk about very difficult sourcing issues and all that sort of stuff but actually you know in the hands of a great storyteller which you know is the BBC and and then you know working with David Attenborough actually they managed to tell that story in a way that captured you know the minds of, of millions of people and that was such a powerful thing you know people have been trying to tell that story for a long time yeah. and not succeeding so I think you know the power of you know really really using great narrative builders in our work is, is really important and yeah. should not be dismissed. It can really change yeah. things. Yeah. I, did, I did the storytelling um, lab yesterday okay. and I found it really inspiring. You know, yeah. It gives you a structure of how to tell a story. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember probably about eight or so, I was making this collage and I have a very vivid memory of it. You know, it was a whale in the ocean and I cut up bits of plastic pots as plastics in the ocean. And that was God knows how many years ago now, um, but it really stuck with me. And the thing from the storytelling lab was that um, that visual imagery, it really yeah. sticks in your mind. I think mm. that's what's happened with Blue Planet, is the visual yeah. element yeah. of it. And a really good storyteller does create that visual imagery that really resonates. Um, and that's one of the great things um, Tom from Finisterre yesterday yeah. was giving us his story about how he's developed, you know, taken his passion for the ocean and really driven that into a business model, which is, is going circular, you know, mm -hmm. recycling wetsuits and like. Um, so I think, yeah. yeah, the power of storytelling is really important. If you combine that with, with new technology, which we all almost overlapped on, so, you know, everything now in HD quality and the mm. new widescreen televisions, and it's almost a cinematic uh, approach and impact Whereas previously we didn't have that in our homes, you know, that's a, that's the typical response now. We can almost mirror that to the energy environment where technology is really driving innovation and, and change to a degree where, you know, there's some fabulous technology. One, uh, I think Michael referenced yesterday, something called Eco Ecto Grid, mm -hmm. which is a district heat network scheme, which by definition is is very efficient and. Um, 
and it goes a step further because it actually transports the water at a lower temperature, which means much less, uh, uh, much higher efficiencies because you've got much less losses in terms of temperature load. But also the next stage of what it enables people is to, as well as taking heat out, is to, when it's not in use and not required, put heat back onto the, onto the, onto the network. So what you're talking about then is the, the, the next level of, of smart cities Mm. which is the potential of where we can go to. So we're move, quickly moving from looking at one company's single sites, a bit like your relationship mm. with Sainsbury's, how it can almost jump onto the next level and innovation and technology are really pushing us forward and, and the opportunities for us to grasp that, mm. to, to really engage with our clients and the board level contacts mm. that we have, paint the picture, tell the story, use technology and really bring it on and, and deliver for our customers. Yeah. So, so what you've just done, John, is something I've not been able to do, is you've taken, and what a lot of uh, sustained professionals have struggled to do, is uh, you've taken the plastic story which you're just talking about and you've managed to bridge it into the wider um, sustainability conversation. In fact, uh, in this episode on day one, mm. we had John Koo from Interface do the carpet in uh, tile manufacturer. He nice. basically said that what he'd really like to see is, is how businesses can take the plastic story um, and just engage consumers on a whole plethora of sustainability issues um, and one of the things I've always wondered is how, how hasn't the plastic story yet been related to the SDGs it kind of links to one goal and that's perhaps a, a bridge in but um, I suppose what I'd like to know is is how you know how can these kind of global frameworks like the SDGs I mean the fact that we're in a post Paris agreement world has made the case for businesses to really step up how do they then use stuff like the plastics um, the ongoing plastics crisis uh, the Paris Agreement to to really broaden the understanding of not just consumers but perhaps people within their own organisation on, on sustainability. So I think it comes back a bit to narrative. So we were talking about the power of stories mm. and I think you know, um, a sense of narrative is a very human thing. So we talk about our own lives as kind of linear progressions, a kind of narrative, and that's very much how we tend to see the world. So I think um, you know, using something like plastics as kind of one bit of that narrative, but then making sure that you do put in all the other parts is, is really important. Um, I think the other thing um, for me is, you know, particularly around um, the SDGs, is they, uh, the whole point of the SDGs is, is that they're holistic. Mm. So it's, it's the whole lot. So you, you can't just kind of focus on one and say, it's okay because we're doing SDG yeah. number 506, yeah. you know. It's absolutely about taking <coughs> that holistic view of things. And I think that kind of holistic view and the sense of a narrative are, again, very human characteristics. So I think, I think there's a real shift going on. I think people have absolutely um, come from a philosophy which particularly was strong in the Western world that we were at the, t the top of the pyramid and everything else was kind of there to be Correct. used by mm. us to deliver growth or deliver whatever it was we felt we needed to make our lives more comfortable and, and kind of you know live, live better lives in that sense but I think now people are absolutely realizing that you know the narrative and the, and the holistic view is that we are part of a much more complex kind of ecosystem and that we we kind of we ignore that at our peril and I think that philosophy is changing and so I think it is both narrative and taking that holistic view which will kind of get us there. And, and that is different to how we have talked about business in the past. Mm. It is very different. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, actually, yeah, because uh, we, we've had a few reports come in and land on Needy Desk around mm. how companies, especially with the SDGs, can yeah. cherry-pick goals. Yes, and yeah. it was, that was the quote that um, really stuck with me. And I was, I was kind of thinking, is that necessarily a bad thing? Because, you know, some companies aren't going to have... Um, 
massive impact with no. certain goals. But the way you kind of put it is, and, and, and the fact, I think it was um, Bayesman's Claire Perry was here yesterday, and she basically said that, you know, um, climate change was linked to 15 of the goals. Mm. It was the fundamental yeah. theme running through mm. them all. And I suppose when you start viewing that, perhaps businesses and organisations do have more of a... Um, Focus. Yeah. On, yeah. On the I, I was going to say exactly the same. From my experience, it... If you like my day job, my focus is around the developers or commercial real estate sector in particular, trying to get under the skin of that area. And one of the drivers or, or one of the SDG equivalents, if you like, in a, in, in a business focus is the BRE. Uh, we work alongside the yeah. BRE and they've got BRIAM standards, which developers or commercial real estate developers can aspire to. And, and it's really aligning oneself with those uh, whichever the sector so for every sector there is a uh, a bre or an sdg that you know there are um baselines or standards that that can be aspirational i think if we link that back to the profitability and sustainability question that there is definitely a value around brand value being uh, associated with high performance high sustainability and that's been recognised certainly in the feedback. I think it was Karen Hamilton yesterday mm -hmm. from Unilever. Uh, she, she referenced some of the research that they'd done over a, a very large piece of work in terms of uh, numbers of people interviewed. Mm. And there was a significant, I think it was over 85% of people will purchase, whether that be service or products, with the sustainability agenda in mind now. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is now the here and now. So it is a profitability and sustainability hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think the good thing about the SDGs is that they provide a common language. Yeah. Um, so no matter what sector you're oh. in, um, you know, if you're a charity, you're a big business, you're an SME, um, it does provide that common language to so, say, you know, we're, we're working on collaboration mm. and goal 17. So you know, it's it's that kind of a leveller in a way yeah. um, to show everybody can work together to these common goals. So we're talking about that much more complex language. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you know, particularly when we think about the work we do. You know, when we looked across the SDGs, and you know, and the automatic thing is to kind of run your slide rule down them and think, Ugh. but you know, the, at the, you know, absolutely, what we do plays into so many of them. You know, and that's and that's that's kind of that that is the issue for me. Is it's thinking about not just what you're trying to deliver as a business or an organisation, but thinking about the context in which you're doing that as well. And the SDGs enable you to do that. See, that, that's a really good point because you, you mentioned the common language, and we we discussed earlier in this episode around you know, having that language for the boardroom, keeping it really simple. Mm. The SDGs are, are simple in that sense that you can you can badge them up against certain uh, pillars of your CSR strategy, etc. But how how then do you do what we need to do to ensure to have that proof of concept, have that data around the SDGs? I, perhaps I'm a bit too sceptical as a journalist on this, but I, <laughs> I would I would um, suggest that there's a, there's a select few businesses out there that are just kind of... Um, Using using the kind of SDGs as as a kind of a bit of a dress up for this yeah. SR report, and they kind of stick it on, they yeah. plaster it on against kind of key areas, but there's no real correlation or link there. Um, so so how do you then take a framework like the SDGs or take other frameworks like BRE and actually link what you're doing to them? So if I was a journalist, <laughs> <laughs> I would be I'd be absolutely challenging the links between the different goals that's that's mm. where the, that's where the real win is and that's where the real weak spots can be so I and you know I, I think you're absolutely right to have that kind of um, slightly skeptical view on them and I think um, you know 
good businesses are doing that and are, and are looking at that and are not just kind of ticking ticking off boxes beside them you know that that you know that delivers nothing other than perhaps a kind of a nice shiny shiny kind of front face for the business it's 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 kind of much more fundamental than that and i think you're absolutely right to say you need to challenge that okay and i, I want to um just to kind of link back to the theme of the Sustainability uh, Leaders Forum, which is all around kind of inspiring um, action um, rather than just ambition around sustainability. And I think one of the key aspects in delivering that will be around kind of innovation. Like you mentioned how just complex businesses become around mm. sustainability in general. There's a lot of innovative solutions and they're not all kind of product based there. It can be business model made. There's a move to servitization in a lot of these parts that will redrive. But I thought it'd be a good place to end um, the the, uh, the vodcast, as I've got to call it, um, looking at, ahead at kind of innovations that can really be potential game changers. And we, we discussed the kind of short-term, long-term um, aspect. And, um, you know, John, you mentioned that um, it can be quite hard because there's a lot of risk involved. And I suppose my question is, how do businesses um, kind of put a few of those doubts aside and, and take a risk, take a leap of faith? If we, if essentially, if we're waiting around for the perfect solution, we're not going anywhere we're going to be waiting for a long time there's a danger business doesn't move at all so I'd like to perhaps get your views on one what innovation and it can be anything around business and sustainability that excites you the most and and two how you get business into that mindset where perhaps it's time for a leap of faith happy to kick off with that I suppose there's a couple of points from me on, on this and uh, around takeaways in particular and one would be the phrase prosumer it's something I'm really passionate about in terms of people taking action. We are now, all of us, uh, in today's society, embodied and able to become a prosumer. So rather than just a, a consumer, and what I referenced earlier about changing your relationship with energy, no longer are we at the end of the queue just taking energy and consuming it as, as efficiently as we can. We've got the power within ourselves or via a third party to actually become a prosumer where we can generate our own energy and again, change, you know, that's a real change game, uh, game changer, if you like, in terms of, that's a tangible opportunity. So all, all the viewers or, or listeners here should be asking themselves, am I a prosumer? If not, why not? How can I do that? That should be something they, they can really focus on in the short term, the here and now. Uh, alongside that, there's a couple of points. Uh, I referenced ExoGrid earlier. Mm -hmm. I think that's in some sort of niche uh, environments where we're talking about district heat networks. That's going to that's going to take a technological leap into the next level. And then alongside that, maybe in the shorter term in the UK, as we move away from gas in terms of heat generation, we should be looking towards heat pumps mm -hmm. technology. And that's something I'll be looking at this year to deliver with my customer base to take us further along that, that development. Yeah, we've seen a few stories a lot more um, more frequently arriving around heat pumps as well, so it seems to be an area. Um, yeah. Sarah, I'd like to get your views on the, the big innovation um, question. So for me, it's all around digitalization, mm -hmm. AI for sustainability, um, the internet of things. I think we can learn so much from connected machines I and mean, improving efficiency, improving energy efficiency, resource efficiency, um, so linking circular economy and industry 4.0. Um, just amazing I think what can be achieved out there we talked this morning about how you know the processing power has just you mm. know, increased dramatically you know, year on year and let's harness that to deliver the efficiencies that we need to and, and in terms of that kind of need to move now perhaps taking a leap of faith um, if we had a sustainability professional that was listening or watching that was just kind of starting out and they didn't quite have perhaps the, the boardroom buy and the, the 
companies like Siemens can, can afford? What advice would you give to them in terms of here's an innovation? It's not necessarily perfect. It might, I mean, especially around resource efficiency, there's so many now that have been touted as solutions that might generate some unintended consequences down the line. How, how do you frame that? Do you say stop and find out what's going to be the impact down the line? Do you say it's better than what it is now, let's take a step and sort out the solutions later? Yeah, I think I always work to the 80-20 rule, you know, let's just let's crack on and give it a go because if you don't, you're not going to learn either way. So it could be a missed opportunity um, and take that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, one thing Kenny from Tesco said, so, you know, don't be afraid to grovel yeah. for a you know, yeah. and say, I'm sorry, but actually this really was yeah. a good idea. And, and be prepared to learn from your mistakes as well. You know, we don't know all the answers, um, but let's just crack on and get, get uh, innovating. Okay. It's that, that energy and can-do attitude that we, we need from the, yeah. the business sector to kind of, you know, solve some of the issues we're facing. And that's what fills me with optimism, really, is that I think once business puts its mind to it, you know, it will come up with some of these solutions, absolutely, and it's doing already. Yeah, I was going to add to that is that one approach we've got to, to really come across the hurdle you, you talked about is to, to try and blend solutions. Yeah. So we might take some more controversial or, or, or maybe higher risk solutions and blend them with uh, LED or straightforward transactional solutions and, and combined you're going to make a larger impact in terms of kilowatt hours saved and combined you can bring the business case or payment payback period yeah. down. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm really interested in kind of um, the thing that I, the innovation I really hope to see is, is is taking kind of natural capital accounting much more seriously and really looking at what nature provides for us in terms of our businesses and really taking account of that. And I think once you start doing that, um, then you can start incentivizing all sorts of directions of travel that will be hugely beneficial for um, for us and for the planet. So if you look at somewhere like New Zealand, it's planting 100 million trees a year now because it's got political will to do so and because it's got a fantastic carbon credit scheme. And if we can introduce some of that thinking, then I think businesses are absolutely ready to play their part. Brilliant stuff. This has been a really, really insightful um, chat. I think it's really kind of caught a real flavour of, of what the forum's trying to do. Um, and, you know, Sustainable Leaders Forum was all about turning ambition into action. I think we've got our unofficial tagline for this, which is just, you know, crack on and, uh, <laughs> and, and get going with it. Be a prosumer. Prosumers <laughs> and, and, and crack in on it. I like that. And I think that's a good place to end on because um, I did promise I'd get you out for lunch. And I've okay. only got a few minutes to do that. So a big thank you um, to all three of you for, for being my guest today, especially Becky. I'm starting to wonder if um, the Wooden Trust think we've just kept you here. We'll let you get out and get some sunlight. <laughs> but, but thank you, um, all three of you, for your time. And also a big thank you to Eon as well for, for sponsoring uh, this episode of the Sustainable Business Covered vodcast. And um, of course, all our podcast episodes. There's not many vodcasts. And I'm um, slightly slightly um, upset that we're going to be heading back to the traditional format as good as it is this has been a lot of fun for me um, but they're all available via iTunes um, and they can be downloaded from the ED website as well as for these podcasts same they can be viewed in podcast format on um, the iTunes um, platform on our website and the YouTube videos will be going up probably around about 24 hours after the podcast so again thank you to all my guests and for now it's goodbye